episode 185. And now here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. And welcome back, everybody. It's your host for this wonderful show, Dharmic Evolution. Hey, uh, we got an awesome, unusual guest today. And um, this lady is incredible. She's an author, a two-time founder with a payment processing company spanning over 38 states and a networking events company which serves over 30,000 people. She contributes to Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Thrive Global on networking, entrepreneurship, and creating a life of your own design. This lady's been featured in over 300 press outlets, including Time, CNN, Inc., Huffington Post, Fox, and Mashable, all built on the back of her network. She's on a mission to help others who are disenchanted with sleep-when-you're-dead culture and chasing other people's definitions of success to build a life of their own design. So you better strap up your seatbelts because we're stacking the cool with Dara Bustine. Are you a singer-songwriter, author, speaker, or thought leader? Have you been looking for a platform for your career? Well, the James O'Connor Agency has exactly what you are looking for. Find out how we write and produce big, amazing songs on Music Row for authors, speakers, thought leaders, and organizations like nonprofit and corporations. We also help singer-songwriters and artists by giving them a platform on Dharmic Evolution, a podcast designed specifically to broadcast your global career, now in 71 countries, and with more than 161 episodes of artists all over the world from all genres, we know how to reach your target audience. Are you a dreamer like James? Then reach out today to james at thejamesoconnoragency.com and find out how we can help your global career. Dara, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. Thank you. You know, uh, I just, just for folks who... Um, you know, just to let you know, the trail of Dara just came into my world, like unbeknownst to either of us on one of the Storyteller episodes. And I was surfing around um, for content about, you know, the particular subject of that day. And it was kind of about, about ice breaking. And your, your, your blog came up immediately. Like, I think it was the first thing I came to. And I just started like riffing and talking about your blog which was fabulous, and it just fit the content of that particular show. And then I got a chance to learn all about your world, and you have so much that you've done in your short time in this world. So um, where do we start? How did you get to be the the solopreneur that you are? That's a big one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that being an entrepreneur is actually one part environmental and choice and one part nature. So it's the sort of nature nurture conversation Yeah. where I was born to work as an entrepreneur, even though I didn't know that word growing up and it wasn't something that was being lauded as the course to take, but it was always in my DNA. It was in my essence. I was starting little businesses from the screen porch of my parents' house when I was little trying to sell things to their friends and to other folks who are coming through. 
So one part, it was just always going to be, I think, an inevitable part of my journey. And then I think another part is the choice that even though there was that knowingness or that intrinsic component, right. I still had to choose it because I started my career working for other people and was fairly miserable and that wasn't working out so well for a number of reasons, like yeah. layoffs and otherwise. And I had to at some point choose to say, I'm going to work for myself. And that's where you meet me today. You know, it's, I can tell just by like after we talked and I looked at your blog and then I went to your website immediately and I, I learned so much about you. And I, I know just from my own experience of I'm like new in, in this world because I had a traditional business for many, many years and I only changed like four years ago and um, started this journey. And for those of you out there who have been on this journey you know how hard this is to build something like online businesses. Everybody thinks it's very easy. You just, you throw some things up online and tomorrow you're in business. Well, it's not that easy. So tell me some of the trials and tribulations of, um, like, could you talk first and foremost about your first business and the challenges and the stumbling blocks that you encountered? Because I know there were many in order to get to the place where you said, okay, I see the, the entry finally, and I see where I can start. Absolutely. So for anyone listening, my first business is in credit card processing, which is probably surprising because I didn't anticipate it either. Basically what that means is with my twin brother, we set up a company to set up the way in which a business takes a credit card payment from their customer in any way, shape, or form. So online, by phone, in person, and so on. And there were so many trials and tribulations. I mean, number one, it's just a very crowded and congested market. Pretty much anyone and everyone who you might think is involved in that space is. And many, many of them are disingenuous, dishonest, and pretty shady. So our first challenge was really finding our niche in that market and then going up against what I always call kind of this Robin Hood way of trying to do well for the small business while there's so many people trying to take advantage of them and make their their pockets fatter along the way. So that was definitely the first part was how do we find our space in this very crowded marketplace and then how do we continue to be the honest, transparent people that we wanted to be in an environment that really was not championing that whatsoever, that people had become successful based on being the opposite. So that was the first. The second was is that to be in that type of business specifically, you can't have full ownership of the entire product or service. And what I mean by that is there are ultimately eight credit card providers who dominate any U.S. electronic transaction. So anytime you pay via a credit card in a U.S. dollar amount of money, that is ultimately going through one of eight credit card processors which is really confusing to people because typically they have no idea they're even aligned or associated with them because there's so many businesses or hands in the process along the way. But what that means for us is that as people who are coming into an industry trying to differentiate in a way that seems pretty strange, but which was through honesty and transparency, <clears throat> right. that we had to give over some large amount of control because we couldn't control the entire outcome of what we were delivering to our customers. And that ultimately became a really big challenge. And I say, ultimately, we've been doing this for close to a decade now, and we operate this now in 38 U.S. states. So we had this large book of business and of clientele where a lot of the times you're just going out on faith based on history with these companies or trust. 
hoping that what they say they'll do is going to be the case. And what we found many times over is it was until it wasn't, that there tended to be a point in time where their story would change. And then we became the ones, rightly so, who were in relationship with these companies as the small businesses that are our clients having to answer for the things that these companies are doing that they don't even know are associated with this interaction, this agreement, this relationship. So I'd say those were some of the biggest challenges that we've faced and have had to overcome. So what whatever possessed you to say, like, I want to go into this? It seems like such a niche, and it seems to me like from somebody who doesn't know this world at all, like it'd be the banks would be all over this and trying to dominate this, you know, because it's it's capturing the float, right? It's like it's very similar to the insurance business, I'm, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the models are almost identical. And you're right, every bank is involved in merchant services or credit card processing with certainty. The real distinction that we found, one, was that we set ourselves up as a brokerage. So when you talk about insurance, that world is saturated with brokerages who recognize that if we can vet the marketplace and find the best solution for someone, an individual or a business, who doesn't have the depth of knowledge that we do about this industry, that everyone can come out winning. And that wasn't ever applied before to credit card processing, but the models are almost identical. So that we found would be a really great way to bring some transparency into a space that was really murky by design of the historic folks in this space. So it really was, again, that Robin Hood thing of how do we steal from the rich and give to the poor and give them a really great chance at this thing that really is this fundamental operational baseline for businesses, because every business needs to get paid and almost every business takes a credit card transaction, but most of them are getting ripped off and being treated unfairly. So, you know, maybe it was naive, but we went in thinking, let's be the good guy. And it was naive on the one hand, but it also worked. And it's why we grew to where we were, but we definitely got beat up along the way. Do you have um, a favorite customer, Dara? Like, is there, is there a niche or is it because a credit card's oh. a credit card? You know, oh, I thought it? you meant a specific one customer. No, I do have a favorite customer, which is, one, it's just like the generic small business because we understand each other. We understand we both own small businesses. We understand the pain points that, let's say, a 0.2% margin on something times the volume that you're running in credit cards can be so meaningful. That yeah. can mean another hire. That can mean a paycheck for the proprietor in a way that it didn't before. So we understand each other. More specifically, I've always loved working with e-commerce businesses because there's one, it's just been this new frontier of our generation that didn't exist before. And so we all get to learn together. So you, you're you in this with, with two different businesses, correct? Is that right? By that, what do you mean two different the, businesses? The, uh, the um, networking or the uh, payment processing business, you're in two different. So are they, yes. do they, does that help? Does one help the other? Yes and no. So my second business that you're referring to is Network Under 40, and we produce networking events for young professionals in a number of mid-tier U.S. cities, and it's about friendship first and business collaboration second. And yes, in the sense that I believe relationships are the key to the success that most people are looking for, right. and that the more that you're out in the world building value-add relationships, the more that that sort of karmically comes back to you. So yes, in that sense, that the more that I did good for other people by creating these environments and helping them connect, I was also in those spaces building relationships and as an after effect, often generated business for myself as a byproduct. So they do help each other in that way. So how is that now that, that you're steering that, you're doing that yourself now, you're running these, um, these networking events and it turned into a business? 
Um, how many like do you do a year and are they all over the country or like how does it how does it work for you? We operate in four cities. We're in Baltimore, DC, Nashville, and Atlanta. And we operate two per city per month. So that's eight events a year times 12. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, it's not just me. That's a nice thing. I have a team of 10 people. I have folks in each market who operate it there, understand the culture there, know where the cool places to go and have events are, have their own networks. So it really helps them to to elevate within their city. So you you're doing the um, you're doing the thing that everyone aspires to do who wants to be, you know, completely independent and have what you would call a life of your own or or all of us would call it, I guess. Um, so life when, of my own design, I think. is. Oh, that's what, it. Life like, of yeah, your own. Des- yeah, exactly. I was trying to remember your quote and I didn't have it in front of me. But um, yeah, it's life by design, not by default. Yeah, by default. I love that. So how did you. Um, and and this this of course goes into all of the th- other things that you do that are on your website, which is amazing. Like, um, let's talk about the blogging, for instance. Um, when did you get into the idea that you would start blogging for all of these uh, publications? It happened like many things in my life as a happy accident, so to speak. Where typically I was out doing things I enjoy, which is meeting new people and connecting, and hopefully adding value to them in some way. And I was at a meeting that happened by happenstance in LA many years ago and through an organization I was a part of called the Young Entrepreneurs Council, I connected with a local entrepreneur there and he said, oh, I was doing some research on you and I saw that you write a bit, which I had been doing in one-off ways just because I felt like writing something I'd always liked since I was a child and it was a muscle I wanted to continue to exercise. And he said to me, I write for Entrepreneur Magazine. I know that they're looking for writers would you like an introduction to my editor? And I thought, why not? So he made the introduction and that sort of evolved into having a regular regular contributorship there, which evolved into writing regularly with Forbes and then Thrive Global and then from time to time sporadically with others. Can you give us um, kind of like a snapshot into your day? Because I know you don't have a typical day, I can tell. But um, but like like for example, like this week, like, could you just run through the week, what you're doing, where you're going? Yeah, this week's kind of funny. So I just got back on a red eye. I was on the West Coast in L.A. and Portland, both for fun and for a wedding and to catch up with folks and to work from wherever. And then we got in on a red eye yesterday. And so I'll be in Atlanta, which is where I'm based when I'm not on the road half or more of the time. And I will have conversations like this. I will be working on projects like a book that I'm writing or on keeping the other companies moving along progressively. And then on Friday, I'm actually going to take the day off and take a group of friends to go to an amusement park to play and celebrate a bit because I just closed off a really big project and think it's important to take some time to celebrate. That is important. Um, I've talked about that before on this show, how um, especially Americans are so... Um, driven in a way that is not necessarily always healthy because we don't look back, most of us, or, or even stop and just look at, look at your present situation and say, like you said, congratulate yourself. It's okay to take a breath and say, you know, good, let's go, let's go have some fun as opposed to just, um, you know, always with the new project in front and not taking any time off. And the first time I ever realized this, I was in Vancouver with a bunch of Canadians and I had my son and a dear friend. We were the only Americans there. And they started talking about their vacations. 
and they they said every one of them had scheduled eight weeks off of just you know doing fun things and i'm going i didn't take eight days off last year <laughs> and uh it seems like the europeans and people in other countries really make time more so than than you know and of course there's there's exceptions um but I think that's so healthy, right? To just yeah. I mean, think about the siesta culture, which is super European. Yeah. Where there's this two-ish hour period every afternoon baked into the schedule of we're going to stop, we're going to come together and have community and meal and fun and levity, as opposed to the culture that I think so many of us are accustomed to in the U.S. at least, and even in, like my brother lived in Asia for a decade. I know it's very Asian culture as well of work, hustle, grind, burn out, sleep when you're dead. And this is precisely what I'm trying to move against and even help encourage other people not to subscribe to because, you know, I, I do a lot of curiosity interviews and it's not a specific thing. It's just really when I meet people trying to be curious and dive deep and understand what motivates them and especially when they're further in their journey in life, right. understand what is it that I can learn from them and their experience and I think when you ask most people who are later on in life and later on in their journey, what is it that you regret most or what do you wish you could tell your 20-year-old self or your 30-year-old self or your 40-year-old self, it is never I wish I worked more. It is always I wish I slowed down some. I wish I appreciated the journey. I wish I connected more with people. I wish I appreciated that which I already had instead of lamenting that which I didn't. And it's this list of things that seem so obvious to us and when right. many of us stop and say, these are the things that I value, so often that is not aligned with how we actually invest our time. And so it's very important for me, at least, and hopefully this is maybe inspiring to someone who's listening, to stop and make that check for myself from time to time and say, are the things that I value really the ways in which my actions are demonstrating that? And if not, how do I adjust? Yes, um... We have a lot of singer-songwriters that follow this show because it's, you know, the show is, is structured pretty much for singer-songwriters, authors, speakers, and thought leaders, and you fall into that, that back end for really nicely. But can you give, for especially for the artists who are constantly challenged with, um, I find this, um, it's rampant, <laughs> uh, focus on scheduling organization of thoughts, organization of, you know, how am I going to do what and when am I going to do it? And musicians are not necessarily the best people for, you know, holding true to meetings and so forth and, you know, being on time. And so is there something that you can uh, give us a little bit of um, pearls of wisdom on what would be a good step for some of these people to take who are extremely talented Yet that part of the package is is lacking and lagging often, and we need all of that to to exist, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost this left brain, right brain, historic question of when you're a musician or a songwriter or a creative, like we're sitting right now, I'm sitting in front of my photography. Like I am a creative as well, even though I present most days as right. a little bit more type A business person. You know, the writer photographer side of me is creative. And I think we all have capacity for both when we're kids. We all express in all of these ways. But generally, culture and society tells us to move away from the creative. So when you're full time, you get to live in that beautiful creative space. It can be easy to neglect or not exercise the muscle of organization. 
And while I don't think that you have to be perfect or great at everything to be successful in the way that you define it, time is really important and scheduling it in a way that creates boundaries for you that are healthy and is also respectful to other people's time is really important. So I, I don't necessarily think there's one great way to do it. For me, I am pretty diligent about calendaring. Like I love Google Calendar. I love color coding a calendar so that I have daily tasks at the top and I can quickly look and say, based on the color, what's what, so I'm not stuck in a list that's hard to navigate. Yeah. And then I schedule things in my day, even if it's scheduling yoga classes days in advance because I wanna prioritize that, or scheduling my meditation in, or scheduling time for myself, or scheduling dates with my partner, Brendan, or whatever it is that's a priority, even if it's not a meeting per se, making sure that I'm creating either the space so I know that there's time for those things, or that I'm literally putting a block of schedule in for whatever that is. And then if you're the type of person who is not going to be looking at your calendar, have it put the reminders that are on your phone so it pops up 15, 30, 60 minutes in advance, whatever it takes for you and your patterns and your energy to get you ready for the thing that you need to do next so that you don't feel like you're behind or there's no margin. Find what those things are for you and then habituate that. If you're not taking notes, you should be. Right back to my interview with Dara and more pearls of wisdom right after this. Have you connected with your gratitude today? I think I have something that will help inspire you. It's the brand new release from James Kevin O'Connor. Gratitude, recorded on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee with producer Kim Copeland and team, is James' third full-length album in four years. Ten amazing songs, each one a different story about the emotions, journeys and experiences that you and I have lived. Songs like Dreamer, Jesus Teaches, Tango On and 51 Shades of Grey. And of course, title track, Gratitude. Pick up the brand new CD today with amazing artwork and photography at iTunes, CD Baby and Amazon. Or simply go to jameskevinoconnor.com for your download right now. Send someone that you love a copy of Gratitude today. It might be exactly what they need in their life right now. Gratitude, the new release by James Kevin O'Connor. Excellent. You hear that, folks? We just got we just got a whole seminar in like five minutes on that. That's awesome. <laughs> Can you give me like, um, I would love to hear from you, like your most challenging um, stumbling block or major, major, um, yeah, let's make it a major problem that you had when you were building one of your businesses that you came to like this huge, immense, you know, impenetrable wall, what you thought was, and but you overcame and became successful and conquered the challenge. Can you share one of those with us? Yeah, I'm actually going to cheat and answer it with two different things because they're totally different. The first one is mindset, that the biggest Achilles heel I've ever had and had so, so strongly, especially in the early years, was the mindset that I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do this and everyone else was better and who am I to try this in the first place. And I share that because I know I'm not alone in it. The more that I've shared that, the more that people have said, yeah, that really resonates. I feel that too. And so for me, the way that I got through that or penetrated, I think was your language, was to just keep moving 
And because of that, I was able to then find data or experiences that would demonstrate to me that the noises or the self-talk in my head was not true. And that just by taking action, that it drowned that out really, as opposed to when I would sit in that and let that voice get louder and louder, it would become a thing that held me in my place and it would make me feel paralyzed, frankly. And so that's the first one. The second one was a financial blow to the credit card business where about two years in, which, you know, most businesses, they say it takes five years to become profitable. We were about two year point where we hit profitability and I thought things were going well. However, the problem was is, and I didn't know it was a problem at the time, is that we had one whale of a client, which means that we had one client who encapsulated about 70% of our revenue Yeah. and they left. And they left for reasons that I don't agree with. They, you know, felt like they were getting a better deal somewhere else. And that's the nature of this business that people are going to believe that. And in one moment, our business went upside down and we were in a really, really challenged spot financially. And I remember that being one of the most devastating days I've ever had in any of my companies because I went from this place of feeling like all of this hard work was finally at a place of bearing fruit to this place of, oh my gosh. I can't believe that we are wiped out right now. We close to zero. How do I find and muster the energy to keep going and moving? And I certainly wallowed in it for probably a day. And then I really realized it had to be that, that I had to muster the energy to keep moving. And again, put one foot in front of the other and continue to to nurture the clients that we had and continue to do what it was that got me there in the first place to the point of having clients that were creating revenue for us in the first place, but this time try to not have such a whale of a client in the first place. Well, those are, yeah, I I know the pressure of running out of payroll and, you know, having that one client, that is a big challenge because I've been through that a few times myself. Um, that's amazing, though, that you you toughed it out and you stayed in there. And it reminds me of kind of like when um, people talk about like the last mile when you're building new businesses and you get to the point where you're just saying, I just don't know if I can go another day with the, with the frustration. And you're doing everything under the sun right, you think. And it's just um, I, I align it with the bamboo tree story where the bamboo tree you have to water it for, for like up to four years and there's nothing showing, but then it grows 90 feet a year. Like in the fourth year it starts, you know, and it's like, all right, I use that bamboo, <laughs> you know, as my model and uh, try to try to recover from it. Well, um, I love if it's okay to add something to that, which is one yeah. of my favorite thought leaders is Adam Grant. He's a Wharton professor and viral TED speaker and many time bestselling author. And one of the things he recently shared on his Instagram, which really stuck with me, was similar to this. It's this idea that if we are constantly looking at our goals in proportion to the next one, instead of looking at it from the perspective of what would me a year ago have felt about being in this point today, we will always be dissatisfied. And it's such a great reminder that, you know, even in that moment when we both lost these important clients and we felt really demotivated or we wondered, how do we keep going? If you stop and think back and think, what would me a year or two years ago have thought about me here? There's probably a lot more gratitude and enthusiasm because the you a year or two ago probably thought you'd never get to where you are and now where you are thinks, well, I've got to keep moving and moving, which may still be the case, but it really flips your perspective. Wow. 
Um, what are you reading these days? You like to read a lot. I do like to read a lot. Actually, I'm reading a book right now that was gifted to me by a friend whose friend wrote the book, and it's called Winner Takes All. And I don't have feedback on it yet because I'm about 30 pages in, but it's about um, this man trying to bring down a bit of the idea of the rich in his term people taking over this idea of sort of impact in the world and triple bottom lines. And he's sort of throwing a wrench in his perspective of it. So while I don't know whether or not I agree with him, I am discovering his perspective. Wow. I'm reading... um... Tribes by Tim Ferriss right now, and it's a long read, but it's but you know it's it's one of these ones where he ha- he asks the same set of questions, but there's so many people in it, and the the richness of the book is so great because of all of the books that get recommended in this book, and they just go on and on. So uh, that that's a good one. And uh, Tony Robbins, I, I read his uh, Money Master of the Game, that was a good one, but he's got a new one out now too, another financial one. Um, but I'm the same way. I go I go in uh, phases where, like, you know, I'll have, like, you know, four or five going on the nightstands. <laughs> I got to get through these, you know, so I can turn them over. Um, what is the most exciting part of your, with all these businesses and, and opportunities um, to share your wonderful gifts with everybody? Um, you have the blogging. You have these two financial companies. Um the networking and oh by the way how did your event go you had like a virtual um uh conference a couple weeks ago how did how did that go for you thank you for asking it went really well and it, i think it actually probably ties into the question that you might be leading up to which is you know for me it was i've worked for close to a decade on my own as an entrepreneur and i hit this point about a year ago or so where i recognized that i had learned a ton and that i really wanted to help other people shortcut a lot of the learnings that I had done and amassed and accumulated through everything from curious reading to conferences and workshops and seminars and relationships and personal work. And I thought, how can I do that in a way that's really accessible to people? So I decided to do, as you said, a virtual summit. So it was accessible anywhere in the world with an internet connection, which is just about everywhere now. And it was totally free in three days. And I, I referenced Adam Grant. He was in it, and Deepak Chopra was in it, and Jen Sincero, who wrote the You're a Badass book series, and 45 other people were in it. And it was absolutely incredible where it helped people. We had close to 10,000 folks participate. And you know, day one was all about how do you recognize what success means for you, and how do you uh, define what that means and get over some of the mental roadblocks and hurdles to start figuring out what does life by design and not by default mean for you. Whereas day two was about how do you create a career or a business to integrate with the life that you want rather than consume it and then finance that life. And day three was all about how do you create the relationships, the network, the community to support you and your goals. And it was beautiful. It was really nice to be able to put that energy and intention out and have so many people respond and say, this was just what I needed and here's what I learned and thank you. You know, um, it's it's just incredible what you've done. And how do you get the energy to do all this and yet still have time to chill? What, <laughs> Funnily it, I know enough, it's the I yoga. <laughs> yeah, I chill a lot. And I think it's in part that I had to let go of a lot of things. I had to let go of the need to control and manage everything, which earlier in my career, I was so afraid to delegate. I was so afraid to hand things off because I had this story in my head that it's never going to be as good if it's not done by me. 
And maybe that's true and maybe that's not, but it also wouldn't have happened at this scale and it, it wouldn't have impacted the same amount of people and not as many things would have been generated in the first place. So the second I got comfortable with handing things off and letting go a bit, that really had a lot to do with it because that also then as a byproduct freed me up to choose where do I invest my energy more than when I had to wear every hat for every business. So you're using a lot of virtual assistants, are you? No, or, actually, or... I don't have any virtual assistants. Oh, my team is all distributed, so oh, that I part see. is true. We all live everywhere because I'm not even in one place, so it would be tough for me to show up somewhere every day with them. Yeah. But I have part-time and full-time folks who are either outsourced by specific ability, like someone who runs social media or someone who does more administrative stuff or someone who runs more technical stuff. But they're not technically virtual assistants. They're folks who do this as a career, and then I outsource or hire them based on the needs at the time. Yeah, see, you're the, you're, you exemplify the, the new and the future and the present, in your case, um, business model. Because it's like, you know, in, in years ago, we all went to a factory with our lunchbox, you know. And it's, it's transformed into a way that, um, you know, I've talked to, you know, a lot of people younger people about who, who, or actually people closer to my age who have not like even, they don't even go on the internet, you know, and it's like, what's the, the future is not about going to one place and hanging your whole paycheck on that one place. It's about, you know, having multiple streams of income and doing all the things that you're blessed to be able to do and you're good at doing and you get to enjoy that. And I think that's the real, the real juice of life. If you can figure out how to do that. And I, I noticed in your on your website and what you're teaching is you help people um, how to do that. And now, do you do, um, Dara? Do you do like mentoring specifically? Is it coaching programs? When you say you help people, how do you how do you do you know do this? Yeah, it's so funny, and it's an interesting transition from your point because one of the things I'd like to remark on before I answer that is that one of the challenges I've had, and I know a lot of people have, as this economy that you're that you're describing changes where you're not necessarily just a lawyer or a teacher or a firefighter or whatever the one word describer is of what you do for your life and career. Now that's changing where people are multi-hyphenated and it's you're a singer-songwriter and you're a writer and you're a podcaster and you're a this and you're a that and you're a this. And it doesn't mean that you don't do any of them well because that's historically, I think, what people thought that you were a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Right. I don't think that's the case anymore because technology really helps. And like we've talked about outsourcing and building teams, it's all so different. So I think there's partially, and I've always struggled with this, as the community hasn't necessarily caught up to the economy of how do you define what you do so that someone understands and it's synthesized. But I think over time that's going to change where people are going to like in your last podcast, I listened to stop asking the, what do you do question as the initial introducer, but instead want to just know more about who you are and what makes you tick. And that'll allow to unfold these different iterations of how you've let your career evolve and do multiple things perhaps. But so now I'm trying to remember what your actual question was. I've totally but, escaped it. But it's, but it's right. It's like the answers are like, as we're um, listening to you, the answers are all inside. And like, like when, when you were sh sharing about your stories about going around, around meeting people, networking, that's when like your real passion comes out because somebody has to draw it out of you. A lot of times we walk around, we have all this inside and, and unless it's drawn out of you, you don't even know it. You know, and it's like one guy said to me, he was doing a little coaching with me, he said, the answers are all inside. And it was so true. You know, it just comes out. 
Right. We go around looking for everyone else to answer that for us when instead what I've come to find is that the more we slow down and get quieter, the more that we can uncover what that is internally. And to your question earlier, am I a coach or a mentor? I'm actually not a coach. I don't intend to be a coach, even though who knows where life will take me. When I say that I help other people, it's more through just being a generous person and having conversations, whether in small groups or speaking environments or workshops that'll pop up, not because I market the need to do that or the interest in doing it, but because there's a need and I can fill it or through creating environments like the virtual summit to help 10,000 people at once or through writing books, which I've written one and I'm working on another, but finding or through my writing, just finding different ways to share what it is that I've learned and create opportunities for people to access that if it resonates. Can you give us a title of your book? The one that's um, out? We'll have to ask the publisher. I don't know yet. Oh, oh my book that's you out. Said the, yeah. Oh, that's a children's book, actually. It's a series called Finance Whiz Kids, the first of which is called Money Making Sunny, and it's financial literacy education for children. That's fascinating. What what ages is it is it geared towards? Primarily six to nine. Wow. Where did you come up with this? How did you get this? You were just couldn't sleep yeah. one night? I'll write a book. <laughs> sort of, actually. It was about five or six years ago when the economy was really not in a great place. Actually, it was longer than that. It was five or six years ago that it published, but it was around 2007 or eight when the economy collapsed in the U.S. where I saw that it wasn't just people I knew who didn't have strong financial principles and habits, but that it was more of an epidemic. And I was very fortunate to be raised with parents who were super intentional about teaching us positive financial habits and that there was a real correlation between money and responsibility. And when I saw the economy collapse, I realized that so many people didn't have the benefit of those experiences and lessons. Yeah. And having been a personal student of whether it's like you said, Tony Robbins or other folks like, I don't know, you name it, Robert Kiyosaki, Susie Orman, et cetera, David Bach, who are teaching these habits to adults, I thought, where is this lesson for children? Because what I came to learn was that kids start learning about money as early as age three, yeah. but they're often learning by bad habits and behaviors and in these passive ways. And no, you know, shade or, you know, any judgment to the adults in their lives because there's so much going on that they're trying to teach and handle that thinking about how do I positively teach this topic that's often considered taboo. And for many adults, we've learned don't have positive foundations for it themselves. So it can feel intimidating or scary. I thought, how do I interject in a way to teach them when kids are learning so they can start off with positive habits rather than try to retrain bad ones later? That's so important. I mean, that's amazing that you're doing that because, you know, uh, the school system's been broken for so many decades of, you know, we teach the wrong things or not enough of the right things, I think. Um, what else? I had another good one that I wanted. To, oh, I wanted to ask you about... Um, you know, your pay it forward with the lack of a better word. How, you, you have this started this moment of giving, you call it, and you're aiming to support a million people. So what is that all about? I mean, yeah, so I know we called, touched on some of it already. Yeah, yeah, it's called Give It Forward. And it's really a pretty simple movement of challenging folks to, for a 30-day period, offer to be of service to someone in some way, big or small, once a day, every day. And what that really means more logistically is that every day in that 30-day period, you reach out to someone who either you don't know or someone who comes across your path that day, but it's about the intention of actively seeking out a way to be generous. And it could be asking and saying, hey, I have taken on this personal challenge to be of service in some way every day. Is there some way I can be of assistance? 
some people put it on social media, other people send emails, other people buy someone their coffee in line without them knowing. Like there's a million and one ways that it can come about. But what it really comes down to is shifting your lens from one of what can I take to what can I give, as well as let me actively and proactively seek out opportunities to do this rather than passively let them find me. And then results are so beautiful. It's finding ways to connect and reconnect with people and go deeper in relationship. And it's also really about recognizing how much value we all have to give, especially when we often underestimate it. It's so true. Um, I encourage that often myself. Um, and it's, it, I always say that it doesn't take really very little effort to change someone's day. And if you got a, a regular dose of that, um, you can make somebody's life really amazing um, in doing that. So thank you on behalf of all those who um, don't have a chance to thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's amazing. Um, as we're wrapping up, what can we do to support um, your efforts in all that you're doing? How can people reach out and support Dara? And would you please give your website, Dara? Sure. It's pretty simple. It's dara.co, which is spelled D-A-R-R-A-H dot C-O. And that's where you can find all my free resources and writings and videos on a guide to better networking. It's where you can get in touch with me or find me on any social media platform. You know, how did you get the dot co? I said, everything you do is like unique. Like, how do you do this? What's going on? You got some Fortunately, kind of... I have an abnormal name. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dara, this was really, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to visit with us on the Dharmic Evolution. I know a lot of people listening to this are going to take away some really great pearls of wisdom that you have provided today. So um, on behalf of everyone who does that, I uh, just want to wish you all the love, luck, and success in the world. Thank you. I wish the same back to you. Life by design, not by default. Spoiler alert. It starts with doing the inner work to uncover what you want. Then build the right relationships intentionally to support your vision, all the while creating the financial freedom you need to choose how to spend your time. The biggest thing, no matter where you are in your journey, is your network. Would you like a free guide? The 55 best questions to ask? To break the ice and really get to know someone? You can go to Dara's website and get your free download right away. Go over to dara.co. That's D-A-R-R-A-H dot co. You don't need the M because it's Dara. I hope you guys enjoyed this time spent with Dara Brustein. You can always Google her name also and find out about all her cool blogs, which are all over the Internet. So just uh, type in Dara Brustein and you'll be able to find out what's going on with her and her uh, awesome uh, writing campaigns. And if you are ready to elevate your career to a new level, reach out to us at dharmicevolution.com, the guest tab. Drop in your assets, fill out the form, send it in. We'll see if we can get you a date on this show. Would you like to be in 71 countries? Would you be like, like to be number one in Singapore, in the USA, Germany, UK, Sweden, Japan, and many other places? Because that's what's happening these days, folks. 
So uh, thank you for the support. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor, singer, songwriter, audio, video artist, master storyteller, and international talent agent. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from the stage. <laughs>